Good afternoon. Welcome to the Eco News Report, KHSU's weekly program covering environmental issues that matter most on the North Coast and in our bioregion. I'm your host this week, Jennifer Kalt, Director of Humboldt Baykeeper. Today my guests are Richard Johnson and Dave Hankin of the Humboldt Alliance for Responsible Planning, who are here to talk about the Trinidad Rancheria's proposed 100-room hotel project near the Cherry Heights Casino in Trinidad. Thank you so much for being on the Eco News Report today. Thank you for Thank having, you having us. us. So, Richard, you are the chair of HARP, the Humboldt Alliance for Responsible Planning, which is a, a fairly newly formed group. And then you're also on the board of directors for the Trinidad Coastal Land Trust. And Dave, you are co-chair of HARP. And you're also a retired HSU professor of fisheries, and you are the board president of the West Haven Community Services District, which supplies water to the community of West Haven. Correct. And then you also ran the Marine Lab in Trinidad for many years? I was at the Marine Lab for about 35 years, yes. Mm -hmm. So fair to say you have a lot of local knowledge about fisheries and marine ecosystems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And so, Richard, why don't you start out telling us about why HARP was formed and a little bit about how you came to be involved? Sure. This has been an issue that we've been actually looking at in working with the Rancheria for oh, probably almost 10 years now. But I think the genesis of us organizing as, as an organization, HARP, came about earlier this year. Many of you probably remember the radio interview with Supervisor Ryan Sundberg, and during that interview on July 4th, he indicated that the environmental assessment for a hotel on the Rancheria property was almost complete, and that they expected that the hotel would start construction early in 2019. So this was an issue that, as I said, we were had been looking at for a while, but this was kind of the genesis, if you will, that we said, hey, we need to take a look at this, primarily because when we have talked to various people in the community, there's a, a lot of people weren't even aware that this was going to happen. Yeah, that's right. I heard that interview, and it was on KNS, and I'll put a link to that on the, the archive okay, of the show, so people can go and link to that. I'm pretty sure it will still be available. But I listened to that as well, and I was really, I was surprised too. I mean, I've heard about the plans for many years, including the plan for an off-ramp to be built off of 101 to the new hotel, mini-mart, gas station, etc. I went to the charrette that they had in, I think it was 2011 or 2012, something like that, mm -hmm. talking about these mm -hmm. plans. And so I was surprised when I heard that interview that they were planning on breaking ground early in 2019. I just wanted to add to that. Some of us are, are not quite in such good touch with these things. And uh, I actually learned about this when I was shown a, a, you know, a mock-up of the design of the building at the Cherry Heights Casino website. And when I saw that, you know, my reaction was, my God, I didn't know about this, and the design of it, frankly, is one of the things that really you know, concerned me. I, I think it's really important for public involvement in design, you know, so that it's something that works for all of us you know, if they're going to build a hotel. Yeah, the, just to describe it very briefly, we've always known that they, as part of their overall economic development plan, the Rancheria had wanted to have a, uh, a hotel. This 
looks right now to be approximately six stories tall and about 100 rooms. And that's always been kind of the plan. But it sits right on top of the bluff overlooking Scenic Drive, which is just south of Trinidad. And, and there, there's no doubt that it's, it's, it's a, something that is somewhat out of character from the other development on the Rancheria. That seems like an understatement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was, you know, the mock-up of it is a glass-fronted structure, which, you know, raises issues of birds, you know, to some people, bird mortality. But to me, one of the things that I've done for years and years, you know, is walk Trinidad Head. Like every day I don't play racquetball, I try to walk up Trinidad Head. And I frequently find myself, you know, looking back toward the coast. And to imagine looking at a six-story glass-fronted building kind of destroys, you know, what the Trinidad head walk experience is. You know, anyway, it's it's something something could be done that was very tasteful and blended in with the environment and, and that wouldn't have that same kind of impact. So that's actually one of the really substantial concerns that I have. So I guess that prompts me to ask a question that comes up quite a bit for Humboldt Baykeeper, which is, you know, there's two types of projects. There are projects that you just flat out oppose, you know, like Baykeep- mm-hmm. for Baykeeper, those are typically the ones that get into the newspaper and the news, things like the proposal to process gold ore using mercury on the Samoa spit. That was just, you know, no. Mm-hmm. And then there are other projects where the the ultimate goal of the project is not something that we oppose, but we have concerns that could be mitigated or minimized to use the the environmental jargon of, you know, California environmental law. But this is unique because it's a tribal project. And so the coastal development permit requirements, you know, have been, well, I don't know the specifics of how much they will have to adhere to any of those. But typically, a hotel that would be built in the coastal zone would have to go through a coastal development permit and would have to minimize those type of visual impacts and and environmental impacts. But what sort of environmental and public review does this project have to go through? Well, that's that's a very interesting point. One of the things that is of of somewhat concern for us, as you know, the the land for the rancheria is held in trust by the federal government, and that puts us in a little bit different category in terms of the environmental review process. We are used to what we call the, the California environmental CEQA process. And, and, of course, this property is in the coastal zone. But since it's on federal land, it falls under the jurisdiction of agencies of the federal government. And in this case, it's the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Totally different review process. And what that means is that they start with a what is called an EA, an environmental assessment. And that environmental assessment is what is currently being worked as based on what Supervisor Ryan Sumberg said. The thing about the EA or an environmental assessment is that there really isn't a requirement for public hearings. And even depending upon the, the federal agency, there may not even be much of a review period. What I mean by that is once it's released formally by the federal government, then there is typically a period of 15, 30, 45 days, which the public can then look at the document and make comments. We don't know where that is going to really fall into this process. 
you not not to get into all the details, but a lot of folks would say that when you look at the federal requirements versus the California requirements with the Coastal Commission and being in the coastal zone, that the requirements from the federal government are less stringent than the ones in California. That's a simple way of kind of putting it. And I realize it's top level and there's a lot of detail behind that. But that represents a significant issue and something that we are concerned with and could conceivably change the way in which environmental issues would be mitigated or addressed. So that's a significant thing for us to be concerned with as a, as a community. Right. So, so basically an environmental assessment is it's done to determine whether a full environmental impact statement needs to be developed and that under federal law, the National Environmental Policy Act, the EIS is where a full analysis and avoidance or minimization of impacts would be done. And then also that would involve public hearings, public comment. So the EA is is sort of a higher level view to say whether or not an EIS is required or not. So what is the timeline for the EA at this point? Well, that's a very good question. I wish I had a, a very specific answer for you. Again, based on some preliminary conversations, and even if you remember, I believe there was a uh, Time Standard article on August 31st where they interviewed several people at the rancheria. And at that point, uh, Jackie Hostler indicated that that it was that there would be some public meetings with with the entire community sometime late in September. But with respect to the actual formal release of the environmental assessment, we're not real sure. But we're, we, we believe, just based on her, her comments, that we should see it before the end of this month. Okay, well, let's talk about the, the impacts that are of concern. Well, why don't we talk about the water supply issues, first of all. Since, Dave, you're on the West Haven Community Service District, you know quite a bit about municipal water supply. And... The city of Trinidad gets its water from Lufenholz Creek, which is a rather small coastal stream. Can you talk a little bit about the the water supply and where where will the water come from for this project? Well, I, I think that's clearly one of the main concerns that people have about this project is where will the water come from? It certainly won't come from West Haven. We barely have enough water, you know, to serve our very small district. In fact, at times, you know, there's been talk about linking Trinidad and West Haven for the purposes of fire protection, which is of interest to both of them. When we get to late summer flows, fire protection is is a problem, uh, uh, you know, if there were some really major event. So it's always been an issue. A hotel of this size would obviously have a very large water requirement, and the obvious place to get that from it would be the Trinidad water system, we don't know at present, you know, whether the city of Trinidad actually has adequate supply for that or not. But one of the reasons that I've been very concerned about this particular project is if the Trinidad supply is not adequate to serve this hotel, then where would the water come from, all right? And when come from West Haven, when come from Trinidad, the idea that was in the paper of having it come in on trucks, you know, and water, I think that's kind of crazy if it's as much as, you know, what we know right now might be 19,000 gallons a day. But we, this is just a, a figure, like straw man, 
because we don't really know. But if that were what it was and you had, say, a 2,000-gallon truck, you're talking about 20 trucks every day, you know, hauling water up to the rancheria ad, ad infinitum, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to most of us. So, 20 what, trucks a day. Well, no, that's if, that's, if, that's if they were to actually right. haul in water, which was in the paper, which I, we think that's not going to happen. But the question then is if Trinidad doesn't have an adequate water supply, where would it come from? And it would have to come probably, you know, from connecting to the McKinleyville supply, you know, up from Little River, you know, across up through West Haven up to Trinidad. And that has such widespread implications for growth and development. It is not something that we can ignore. So my concern about this is, one, if they do a hotel to have a tasteful design that everyone can live with, right? None of us have any objection to a hotel per se. And two, that the hotel, its impacts are considered in the context of these larger, you know, development issues, which concern all of us, you know, people, anyone, you know, who kind of Clam Beach North, this is like a major big deal. And we haven't seen any development of this scale, you know, during the, you know, 40 plus years I've lived up there. Right. Uh, Building a pipeline for water from McKinleyville Community Service District would certainly be growth inducing. And that's right. You know, we often see opposition to infrastructure projects like that because of the fact that there's then Mm -hmm. very little control on growth. Mm -hmm. So what about a rainwater catchment system? Has there been any talk of that? I mean, would that even come close to supplying the amount of water? I guess you'd have to have such massive tanks if you're going to store... The, the problem would be holding it just because of where when the rainfall takes place around here. It's, uh, that would probably be adequate during the winter time, but summer would be pretty problematic. And I imagine from what I know about the city of Trinidad's drinking water system that... There is also a matter of how much water is available at different different times of the yep. day. Because if you have a hundred room mm-hmm. hotel, generally, you know, people are well, a casino I suppose is different than a regular hotel where everyone's getting up and showering in the morning and flushing the toilets and all the things they're doing. Mm-hmm. But still there's gonna be, you know, water pressure issues is what I'm getting at, right? And if the you know, Trinidad water supply has basically a, a very small diversion that's running continuously, it's going to be difficult to supply the the ups and downs of the use of that water. Well, this is part of our what we're really trying to do in terms of raising public awareness. And one of the things that we have been attempting to really emphasize to not only the current city council, but also candidates for the city council, is the, the, the water issue. And there have been numerous water analyses that have been done for the last several years or even longer than that. But I I think this is a point where because of this potential significant increase to the amount of water that would be purchased from the city of Trinidad, that it's really imperative that we do an analysis that everybody understands and really puts the whole water issue in a context that we can look at it realistically and make decisions collectively on what's best for our entire community. And that's been a little bit of a piecemeal process over the years. And now I think it's really time that we take a look at this kind of in a holistic manner and say, hey, we're all in this together. Let's make sure we have enough water for everyone. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
this makes me think of is just so many different development projects where, you know, if there's one thing we've learned about this community, the communities of Humboldt County, is that less information causes a lot more concern. And that, you know, whether you're talking about the village project in Arcata or, you know, we could just go on and on about all the projects where if people aren't given the opportunity to get the information, sit down and talk about their concerns, you know, and Ryan Sundberg was a big champion of the, what was called the General Plan Update Ad Hoc Committee that was basically the main stakeholders in the general plan update rather than hearing each other's three minute spiels at you know the board of supervisors or planning commission hearing we sat down in a room together to talk about why we had certain concerns so that we didn't have to guess like why do they want xyz or why do they oppose xyz because that generates conspiracy theories and fear and all these things that are not helpful to the public you know process at all so you know, and then there are tribal sovereignty issues that are very valid, you know, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. tribal communities have, you know, a lot of concerns about, you know, the dominant society's attitudes towards tribal development, and they have, you know, every right to have economic development. That's, I don't know if the tribal members generally support this this particular development, but they certainly have the right to do that with their land. And so anyway... If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Eco News Report. I'm your host, Jen Colt, with Humboldt Baykeeper, and I'm speaking with Richard Johnson and Dave Hankin of the Humboldt Alliance for Responsible Planning about Trinidad Rancheria's proposed casino hotel project on Scenic Drive in Trinidad. So let's talk more about the impact. So we just covered the municipal water supply or the drinking water supply, but what about the wastewater? You know, that's also a 100-room hotel is going to have 100 additional toilets flushing. Do we know anything about the plan for that wastewater? Very little at this point. The information that has been provided indicates that, of course, they will have what they call and what we would agree would be needed is a state-of-the-art wastewater treatment system. The thing that's very critical with that, however, is that in our community, of course, we're all on septic systems. And septic systems take a certain amount of space on any piece of land to work properly. And sizing a an additional septic system for a 100-room hotel, and I also might mention that there is potentially additional development, which is part of the economic plan for the rancheria that might include a an RV park and potentially a gas station convenience store. Some of those plans have changed over the years, but nevertheless, in looking at the whole development plan, the ability to manage wastewater and septic issues gets very complex and very challenging. And we don't have a lot of information right now to be able to understand exactly what they're, they, they intend to do. But that is a, there is a certain limitation to what you can do with the amount of land that you have. And then, of course, we're sitting right on a very sensitive bluff that overlooks Trinidad Bay and the area of biological significance, which is part of Trinidad Bay. And certainly no one wants to in any way, shape, or form, perturbate uh, or disturb those those areas with wastewater issues. Right, and thinking about all the, the local and state regulations that protect the, the Trinidad Bay area of biological significance and that govern wastewater, you know, that would be the 
North Coast Regional Water Quality Control Board. It would be the County Department of Environmental Health, and those don't apply on a tri- on tribal land. So I believe mm-hmm. the U.S. EPA would have jurisdiction over those things. And you know, tribes are actually they have the ability to set water quality standards that are more stringent than the state of California. Mm-hmm. Like the Hoopa mm-hmm. Tribe has, and the York Tribe both have stricter water quality regulations than the state of California. So I don't know anything about Trinidad Rancheria in terms of their water quality regulations, but I know that they have done some improvements or they're doing improvements for their stormwater system. But that's another concern is stormwater runoff. You know, they built a rather large parking lot there when the casino was built. And I think that there's been a lot of work in retrofitting that and getting funding to to change the way the stormwater is running off into the bay. But do we, I suppose it's, again, not clear how they would plan to deal with the stormwater runoff. And that would be something that would be good to, to know and understand. So, Dave, you talked about the bird impacts from running into the the reflective windows what other environmental impacts to wildlife are you are you concerned about <laughs> you raised that question not not me I, I don't actually you know see huge impacts to wildlife other than concerns over birds but the way our conversation was going here i think the key issue like you'll find we don't know answers to many of the questions that you have And that's because I think one of our missions, the reason we formed our group, again, is not to, quote, stop a hotel, but it's to ensure some transparency about the process, that a development project of this kind of size should really be a transparent process where the local community knows about it and they can raise their concerns in in a, a forum that will you know, make the project work better and minimize any of these kinds of negative impacts and, and I don't not very much what is happening at that level, you know, until we formed our group. So uh you know Right. Well I've also heard concerns for lighting, noise and, you know, the potential for electronic or digital billboards to be put up on the highway as we've seen at the Bear River Rancheria. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the public meeting that you have coming up on Thursday, September twenty seventh. Sure, that's that was a good segue. <laughs> Yes, and in terms of, again, part of our desire to increase public awareness, we are sponsoring an informational meeting on the 27th of September, Thursday, September 27th, 6 to 9, yes, at Trinidad Town Hall. And the the intent is to just an opportunity for the community to come together and ask questions. Hopefully we will have some answers. We've also invited and encouraged the rancheria to participate. We are looking for a transparent process. We want to collaborate. This is not in any way to put any sort of separation between us. We really want to work together to make this a a successful project for everyone. And again, as you've pointed out, at this point in 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 the entire process, there's lots more questions than there are answers. And hopefully we'll be able to start answering some of those questions and coming together and understanding what the right solutions would be. Do you want to say something more? Well, the, one other purpose, I think, of this meeting is actually to determine, you know, what kind of local interest there is that supports our concerns and to actually add to the membership of our group, you know, so we can say there are 
X number of people, you know, locally that are really concerned about this. And I think that's very, very important. And my impression thus far is that there are a lot of people and the, the typical reaction has been, what, a hotel? I had no idea, you know, that it, this has not been a high-profile issue. Very, very little coverage, you know, previously. Well, and it's been about eight years now because it was when Ryan Sundberg was first running for for the office mm-hmm. of Board of Supervisors that the plan for the overpass came forward, and I had not heard about it before, but he is, I believe, he's the representative for the county and the Humboldt County Association of Governments, which is the body that directs where Caltrans funding yep. is used, and they just approved, I believe, maybe you know, it's $750,000 to study the need mm-hmm. or the idea of an overpass. And this was a topic in the in the 5th District Supervisors election. Yep. And Steve Madrone talked quite a bit about the concerns for eminent domain where, you know, people would have their land bought to to build this freeway exit and and on-ramp. So that's all very interesting. Maybe I need to invite Ryan Sundberg on next time to talk about this project some more, but I can just hear him having his his thoughts as we're airing the show. So how can people get more information about your group and about the upcoming meeting? We, we as you know, we're just, just really getting organized here, but we do now have a Facebook page. So if you go on Facebook and search for Humboldt Alliance of Responsible Planning. You'll you'll find us. Okay, and there, people who are listening, if you don't use Facebook, do not be deterred by that. Because <laughs> you can just look at Facebook pages of groups like Humboldt Baykeeper or Harp. Good you point. Have to have Good point. A login. A lot of people get stymied yeah. by that. Yeah. And there we we have a lot of information about this project and other things that are going on in our community, and it's we're adding to it daily. I'd like to say that we now have our own email address, but we're not quite there yet, but we will very soon have that. But if anyone wants to contact us, they can contact me through my email, and that is rfjbrr at gmail.com. And okay, and we'll put that on the, the KHSU yeah. archive post so people can go there and look it up. Yeah. You don't have to try to write it down or remember it. Good, and and we'll be... We'll be happy to answer questions, take comments, and as I said then, we are working towards our meeting later on in September to really have an opportunity for the public to come and talk together about this project. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for being on the Eco News Report today. If people want to join your Facebook group, that would be how they could get the latest information, like when the environmental assessment is released, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you. And in other local environmental news, the Redwood Coast Energy Authority just recently submitted a lease application for the offshore wind energy proposal. And you can find information about that on the RCEA website or on the Humboldt Baykeeper website. If you want to sign up for news and information about Humboldt Bay and coastal issues, you can send us an email uh, to alerts at humboldtbaykeeper.org. Also like Humboldt Baykeeper on Facebook and check our website. We post regular news stories there. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Jennifer Kalt of Humboldt Baykeeper, and I've been your host for the past half hour. I was speaking with Richard Johnson and Dave Henkin of the Humboldt Alliance for Responsible Planning. 
If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. If you'd like to replay the interview or share it with others, you can download it from the KHSU archives page at khsu.org, and you can also listen to it on iTunes or other podcasting apps. The Econews Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks to Fred McLaughlin for engineering. Join us again next week for the Eco News Report.